Welcome to the Development and Policy Centre. The management of the exchange rate is one of the key instruments a country has at its disposal to protect against economic shocks. In this podcast of a public seminar, you'll hear Marcel Schroeder provide an overview of recent economic developments in Papua New Guinea and argue that the PNG real exchange rate is overvalued by approximately 20%. We hope you enjoy this podcast. This analysis has been done by uh, my colleagues um, at ANU, Stephen House, Rohan, and also UPNG colleagues, Manush Pandey, uh, Nelson Nema, and uh, Win Nicholas. So it's a joint um, analysis, but I'll do the presentation today. Okay, let's just uh, start. So to provide a good background to the story, just have a look at this figure here. Um, the graph shows the evolution of um, the commodity price index over the last uh, 16 years, since 2000. And um, I think many here are familiar with um, what has been happening to commodity prices. So uh, after uh, the start of the Iraq war in 2003, there has been a um, huge increase uh, up until the start of the global financial crisis, a huge drop, but then again, um, commodity prices picked up again. So uh, we can say, roughly speaking, that uh, P&G experienced a resource boom for about 10 years, 2004 to 2014. And uh, <coughs> since 2014, you've seen, we've seen a huge drop off, a huge uh, decline in commodity prices, and uh, basically that's what we focus on today. How has the economy adjusted to that? And also what has been happening a bit during the resource boom, but again, major focus is uh, 2014 and onwards. Okay, so let's start with uh, economic growth, what has been happening. So. Have a look at this graph here. Um, the blue line is uh, the non-mining sector in PNG and shows you uh, the annual growth rate, whereas the red uh, line would show you um, the real GDP growth rate of all sectors. Um, the distinction um, you can see is not overly important. The two uh, series tend to move in the same direction. And um, except uh, in 2013 and 14, there's a huge divergence. Okay, and uh, this has to do with um, the so-called LNG project, which is uh, a huge investment in well LNG production in PNG. And uh, I came across different numbers, but approximately. Uh, the total investment was 20 billion US dollars, uh, which is about half of GDP's uh, overall GDP. Okay, so a very significant investment. And for this reason, um, <coughs> G, uh, PNG was, I think, the fastest growing economy if you look at overall GDP in 2014. And um, 
which would suggest that the country is booming. But if you look at the you know non the non uh, mining part of GDP, you can see that the growth rate has leveled off significantly, and um, you can argue. Uh, about the numbers too, so some even came up with a negative growth rate, but the bottom line is that um, the growth rates have declined significantly and um, yeah, the economy is basically adjusting to that now. <laughs> it's interesting that very recently non-mining yeah. now exceeds mining. Yes, but these are uh, projections, right? And, um, oh, okay. And this is not mining, right? Uh, this is all, well, all that's sectors, all, right? Okay, it yeah, includes sorry, mining yeah, as okay. well. If you had data on GNP instead of GDP, okay. you wouldn't get that same divergence, would you? Because the, the mining burden was foreign owned. Is that correct? Was what? Foreign owned. Uh, yeah, so yeah, there are huge dividend outflows as well. But yeah, we don't have a distinction between let's say non-mining GNP and non-mining and all sectors GNP, right? But it would still tell you the basic story that growth has leveled off significantly, right? Uh, here is employment growth. So, uh, well, those who are not so familiar with PNG, so the formal sector in PNG is very small, huge informal sector, small formal sector, but during the boom, it seems that uh, the formal sector has been uh, expa has expanded quite a bit. We saw, um, well, high uh, unemployment growth during the boom period, but then again, now employment is employment growth is negative. So let's suggest some of the gains that we've seen there disappearing, which is an unfortunate development. Then uh, another indicator that's worth looking at, or what, what I want to show you is um, imports. So there has been also imports uh, have decreased significantly, which uh, is not so surprising given, given that um, the resource boom is over. <coughs> but there's another reason for it, and that's because and I'll talk about this in more detail later on. Uh, it's because the uh, central bank has introduced uh, restrictions on foreign exchange. So um, businesses cannot source as many imports as they would like because there, there's simply not enough foreign exchange available for that at the current exchange rate level. And that has also affected imports. Then there are also other uh, indicators which point to um, um, kind of an economic recession. So shipping is obviously also down uh, due to the decrease in trade. And um, the Business Council uh, reports a drop in sales of 35% for the first six months in 2016. So <laughs> overall, it's, um, yeah not a rosy picture at the moment. Uh, and even though GDP numbers are st or growth numbers are still positive, we have to keep in mind that uh, PNG also has a very high population growth rate of uh, like greater than 3%. And for this reason, 
we um, expect that the average living standard is actually falling in the country at this particular moment. <coughs> okay. Second part, fiscal policy. Um, well, I think this graph pretty much sums up the story nicely, what has been happening. So, during the boom, what you would expect, you see a significant increase in revenue. And uh, what we often observe in um, resource-rich developing countries is that expenditure just moves along. Okay, And uh, <clears throat> what we've seen recently, however, is that uh, while revenue growth has leveled off, so there's no more revenue growth, right? And in fact, uh, since the end of the boom, as expected, revenue has been declining, but there was an explosion in expenditure, right? And um, so it seems that uh, <coughs> P&G is uh, also even spending ahead of um, resource rents that uh, were expected to be generated through the LNG project that I mentioned earlier. Okay. So, um, yeah, obviously this has led to huge uh, budget deficits. And uh, what we've seen as well is since uh, the peak, uh, the spending peak in 2014, there have been uh, significant uh, budget cuts, right, to close the gap between spending and revenue. Um, to, to get deficits under control, right? And um, we go, let's look uh, into this um, in a more detailed way. So, um, yeah, what, what, why did revenue decline? That's, of course, uh, since um, mining taxes have almost disappeared uh, due to the fall in commodity prices. Um, but then also economy-wide taxes, right, since 2014 are also uh, on a downward trend, as would be expected. <coughs> so how has the uh, budget reacted to this? So basically, um, mostly, so yeah, spending has declined and that's uh, mostly reflected in the decrease in discretionary um, expenditure which we define as total uh, spending minus all these items here, uh, salaries, interest, MP funds, aid funded projects. <clears throat> uh, what you can also see is, uh, as a legacy of the resource boom, that salaries have increased quite substantially uh, over the 10-year period between 2006 and 2016, uh, and also those um, so-called MP funds. Um, so that's basically uh, funds allocated to MPs, and um, they are discretionary, and uh, the MPs can use them, well, at their own discretion, basically, at the district level. <coughs> so it's part of the... Um, decentralization efforts of the PNG government. Okay. So, um, yeah, 
basically, in summary, you see a huge drop-off in discretionary spending and uh, which uh, items got affected. Well, unfortunately, um, very important ones. You can see that education spending declined over since 2011, declined significantly, and also spending on health. Right. So, usually the two items that we consider the most important for, uh, well, any country, but especially a developing country, right? <coughs> um, okay, so here we see deficit per uh, revenue generated, and uh, again, you can see a huge increase in the deficit. Uh, which we've seen earlier, simply because the gap between revenue and expenditure has grown so large. And um, as a result, debt levels are basically back at, well, pre-boom levels almost. Okay. Um, what's the projection like? Well, it doesn't look like uh, revenue is going to pick up anytime soon, so the projections are that revenue per capita is fairly constant over the next four to five years, um, which is, uh, yeah, has to do with um, commodity prices, right, because they are not expected to pick up again. And then also there's high population growth. So even if revenue is increasing, revenue per capita would not pick up. And it gives you an indication of uh, the government's ability to invest in important um, uh, things like education and health, right? So uh, we at this stage probably cannot expect for thing cannot expect things to improve. Okay. Um, yeah, that was the overview on fiscal policy. So in summary, what can be said, uh, revenue is way down because commodity prices dropped and um, spending increased significantly uh, due to um, the commitments that the government made during uh, the boom years. <clears throat> so the decentralization that I mentioned and also higher salaries especially. And for this reason, since <clears throat> it was not possible to uh, easily reduce spending on these items here. Uh, the government had to basically cut down spending on um, essential services like education and health. And when you look at the percentage numbers, they are actually quite dramatic. It's not just the absolute uh, you know, number in, in terms of Kina or Australian dollars that matters, the percentage numbers matter as well. And if you put this in uh, an international perspective, it's similar to um, the cuts that the Greeks uh, had to experience during the Euro crisis. So <clears throat> the country is really, or the citizens, I should say, are really going through some pain at this moment. Okay. And despite... Um, the budget cuts that has still been has still been increasing rapidly. <clears throat> so that's the fiscal side. Um, 
And uh, yeah, let's just move on to the main part of today's talk, the real exchange rate. Um, to give you a good overview, I again show you a graph. Um, so the blue line is the real exchange rate and um, the way it is measured uh, means an increase in the index is an appreciation <coughs> and the terms of trade is the green dashed line and uh, of course an increase in the index means an improvement in terms of trade. Could you tell us the detail of how the real exchange rate is calculated? Uh, well, it's basically the IMF measure that I used. So it is CPI-based and trade-weighted. CPI-based, adjusting both the um, foreign price level and the domestic price level. Yeah. So yeah. CPI appears in the numerator. And That's right. CPI, American CPI. Yes. Yeah, yeah. PNG CPI. That's right, yes, okay. yes. Yeah. But I mean, if you use um, uh, wholesale price index, it would it move it would move in the same direction, right? You wouldn't see a huge difference anyway. It's basically, yeah. But it's how the IMF does it, and it's a nice time series that's available over a long time. Uh, anyway, so um, yeah, so to, to terms of trade, essentially, well, think about commodity prices, right? And what we expect based on economic theory is that um, when commodity prices uh, increase, you would see an REA appreciation, which is expected, right? Um, so the two series should uh, move in the same direction, and that's what has been happening uh, up until here. But at the same time, when commodity prices decline, what should happen to the real exchange rate as well is that it depreciates in order to adjust to uh, lower commodity prices. And, um, well, what we see instead is the diversions, right? And that in itself um, would, makes you think, oh, there might be something wrong with the real exchange rate behavior, right? <laughs> Marcel, yes. because of the inflows for investing in well, there are other determinants too, right? But um, when it comes to a very uh, resource-dependent economy like PNG, uh, you would expect even more so that the two series somehow that there's not such a big diversion, right? Um, so why? Why? I'll get into it. <laughs> <laughs> So why? Um, yeah, so I mentioned this. Uh, we should be observing a depreciation based on the falling commodity prices. What else has been happening, which rings our, you know, rings alarm bells a bit? You see a huge decline in reserves. Okay, which uh, suggests that the central bank is intervening, right, and trying to prop up the nominal exchange rate. Um, <coughs> But not just that, uh, we also have restrictions on uh, foreign exchange. So um, especially capital outflows are restricted, but also even businesses. Um, there are constantly uh, reports in the news that you know some businesses that would like to open 
uh, will start their operations cannot or have to delay it because they cannot source important imports <clears throat> simply because uh, the central bank wouldn't give them the US dollars needed for that. And um, it's a bit hard to know what the precise uh, excess demand is at this point, but um, an estimate that uh, keeps floating around is that it's about one US, uh, one billion US dollars. So um, yeah, a significant proportion of the current reserve level, basically, is still outstanding in currency orders, right? <laughs> and basically, mm, yeah, taking all this preliminary evidence together uh, makes most people think that okay we're probably dealing with uh, quite a significant overvaluation in the exchange rate, um, which is uh, an important issue because um, it was found that uh, when there's exchange rate overvaluation, it also has uh, impacts on the overall economy. And uh, there's a lot of empirical evidence that this leads to lower economic growth due to resource misallocation. <clears throat> and in the long run, what we've also seen in, in other countries that had uh, an overvalued exchange rate for a long time uh, is that eventually it may lead to a balance of payments crisis, um, so which would impose even higher costs, right? So it's an issue that's uh, worth looking into, and uh, that's essentially um, what motivates our paper. Um, what's always difficult to know is, uh, when talking about an overvaluation, is to know by how much is it actually overvalued, the exchange rate, <laughs> and um, <coughs> it's simply because we don't observe the equilibrium value of uh, the real exchange rate, so we need to somehow um, come up with uh, estimates. And uh, there are some estimates floating around as well, informal ones, um, but also there were some that were done by the IMF, and um, for some reason um, <coughs> some uh, estimates would even suggest an undervaluation which seems quite implausible, so Rohan and I thought, okay, let's come up with our own estimates and see if we, what we find, and the hope was to also uh, inform the debate and maybe, yeah, inform the central bank, basically, to see if something can be done about this problem. So uh, what we do is we, we follow a theory-informed approach and uh, estimate the exchange rate based on uh, macro fundamentals and once we have the estimate we can basically talk about by how much uh, the exchange rate is overvalued and uh, what we find is <clears throat> the best estimate that we could come up with is 20% uh, at this point. So that's quite uh, large and um, yeah. Let's go into the details. Uh, how did we do it? Um, so as we said, uh, first of all, 
the concept of the real exchange rate, um, we already talked a bit about it. So the theoretical uh, concept means it's uh, the relative price of tradables, uh, of non-tradables in terms of tradables. So that's how the IMF puts it. <coughs> Some may be more familiar with having the price of tradables in the <coughs> nominator, but it doesn't really matter, right? <coughs> and when we measure it this way, it basically means that an increase in this index is a real appreciation. Okay. Um, yeah. And then the equilibrium real exchange rate is, as I said, it's unobserved, so we need to come up with some theoretical concept. <laughs> and basically, the idea is that it is about uh, balance both internally and externally. So we need uh, non-traded good, good, good markets to clear and also um, the external side of the economy needs to be sustainable. So the capital or the current account deficit should be in a sustainable manner. Okay. Is that concept, the external balance concept, yeah. is that the same thing as saying it's the level of the real exchange rate that stabilizes reserves? Um, no, I mean, there's a difference, right? What's the difference? Well, you can have uh, declining reserves and still be in external balance, in theory. There are, there are situations where this could be the case, right? Would that conflict with this definition? No, I mean, it's a... Well, to be honest, it's a very loose definition, right? So, uh, I mean... It, it just means that the external um, position of the country has to be sustainable. So uh, what does, how do you measure that? It, it can be either through uh, the net foreign asset position, right? To, the, the NFA should be stable or at least not be declining too fast, right? And in um, simplified ways, the current account measures the evolution of the external position, right? So that basically saying the overall balance of payments is 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 uh, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be necessarily zero. It doesn't have to be zero necessarily. No, no. So some countries, so it's a very general and as I said, loose definition. You can have some countries which uh, could afford a current account deficit of let's say one percent every year in terms of GDP and others, they need a surplus, right, for it to be uh, sustainable. It, it, it depends on the country, right? It's just a general, um, yeah, idea. So it's a little bit different to Swan's internal-external balance type of diagram that we had in macroeconomics back 20 or 30 years ago, where I think balance of payments, equilibrium external balance would be that the that it's uh, that BOP is zero basically yeah, yeah. yeah. So, would be different than yeah, yeah. slightly different than that slightly yeah but I mean for simplicity you could assume that okay assumption BOP has to be zero for it to be sustainable and then you can represent it that way yeah, yeah. but doesn't have to be right <clears throat> uh, well yes so basically. Uh, internal and external balance, and then given uh, the relevant variables, and they should also be at sustainable levels. 
<coughs> okay, and that basically tells us, okay, we have a series that depends on several macro variables, and um, what we have is the terms of trade, of course. So this is all based on uh, theoretical models. It's not our contribution. And those models by Edwards and others suggest, okay, the equilibrium rate depends on terms of trade, <coughs> trade policy, uh, also the Balasso-Samuelson effect, so productivity differentials matter, um, government consumption, and finally, <coughs> to get this idea of uh, external balance into play, we include the net foreign asset position. Okay. What's your trade policy, Marcel? Uh, well, trade openness, basically. So the idea is <coughs> a country that's more open to trade should have all else equal a uh, more depreciated equilibrium exchange rate. What's the measure of that? <coughs> uh, we use... China's share of GDP, is that right? Yeah. Exports plus imports over the trade ratio, basically. I'll talk more about the data at a later stage. <coughs> okay, so what's the uh, estimation strategy? So basically, we estimate real exchange rate as a function of the variables that I mentioned. <coughs> uh, we have a 35-year sample pe uh, period, which is well, short, or not only having 35 observations, but it's really the best we can do in a PNG context. And uh, even that was a big um, undertaking to get uh, data set together over such a long uh, time period for PNG. Um, we use basic time series methods, so we're dealing with non-stationary variables, so not going into details. If there are questions, let me know. Then uh, what we need is, given the def definition, we need sustainable levels of the variables. <coughs> so once we have, essentially step one here is about finding the long-run relationship between fundamentals and REL, and once we have that, we can calculate the uh, equilibrium rate based on this long-run re relationship between variables and the area, okay? But it has to be, the macro fundamentals need to be at sustainable levels. And um, <coughs> empirically, how we do it uh, is to use the trend cycle decomposition. Um, so there are several ways to, or several um, methods to do it, but they all have their weaknesses, like the HP filter, for example, uh, could be used. Um, but one big problem that we face is that we are particularly interested in the last year of the sample, right? We don't actually <coughs> care at all, <laughs> really, what has been going on in 1980 or 2001. We want to know what is happening right now, right? Or at least... Um, the last year of our sample, and all those trend cycle decompositions are, uh, have their weaknesses in the sense that they perform particularly poorly towards the end of the sample. So 
what we use is really crudely um, a 10 year moving average. Okay. Can I just get you to step back a little bit, the previous slide? I sure. This, this NFA term, I mean, I thought previously you were talking about a sustainable level of capital flow, capital inflow. Yes. Or capital flow. But NFA is not a, a flow. It's a, it's a, it's a difference stock, between yes. two stocks. So can you <coughs> tell us about, can you explain that a little bit more? Well, but sure. If you, if you think about it, the CA deficit, current account deficit, essentially measures, measures the evolution of the stock, right? So in many ways, it's the same thing. You could say the deficit should be sustainable such that the stock becomes sustainable as well, right? <clears throat> well, to me, I mean, NFA could be any level you like and just a constant level, and that could be consistent with a high level of capital inflow, a low level of capital inflow. Yeah. It just doesn't seem to... Yeah, but it's the same thing, no? Uh, I, mean, I, I don't see that, but... Uh... <laughs> Come back to it later, perhaps. Sure. Um, okay, where was I? Yeah, the decomposition. So we use a 10-year moving average. Um, yeah, and in the final step, we can find the uh, misalignment in the exchange rate once we have our year RER estimate. Okay, data. So uh, we already talked about it quite a bit. So yes, the RER, we use the IMF measure, which is CPI-based um, and trade-weighted, of course. Trade policy is the trade ratio. Uh, the Belasso-Samuelson effect, <coughs> we also use a proxy. We use uh, GDP uh, per capita in PNG uh, relative to uh, the OECD average, and the idea is if uh, this ratio uh, increases, then PNG would experience higher productivity levels than um, the trading partners, or yeah, relative to other countries. And uh, then this should, when this happens, this should appreciate the real exchange rate. Then. Uh, <clears throat> Government consumption, we use uh, total government consumption, and uh, NFA is, yeah, the Wealth of Nations database, which is available, so no problem there. And the terms of trade, uh, that was actually a big problem to get this series together, so this involved, um, yeah, going to the World Bank uh, development indicators, which is easy to do, but then also for all the, uh, yeah, all the years um, going to the library and digging out world development reports from 1984 and, um, yeah, putting the series together. Bank of PNG, uh, I had to basically read the values of a figure manually. <laughs> So it was simply not possible to get a consistent TOT series uh, or continuous TOT series over the 35-year period. So overall, uh, not easy to get even this basic data for PNG. Okay. Good. What are our estimation results? So, um, so here the uh, first column includes all the five 
fundamentals. And uh, well, what you'll find is not all of them seem to be important for the long run uh, real exchange rate behavior in PNG. So <laughs> it comes down to finding a subset of those five fundamentals which explain best uh, the long run behavior in uh, PNG's real exchange rate. And uh, basically, <clears throat> what we did is experiment with uh, all the possible specifications that are left, and then we had to choose uh, the best one. And <clears throat> the best one uh, would be which explains uh, real exchange rate be behavior the best, right? So the information criteria, criteria should be minimized, okay? But... Uh, so this would point to the specification in column two. <clears throat> so real exchange rate depends on terms of trade, trade openness, productivity differentials, and government consumption. <clears throat> but uh, what we thought is there's maybe a better way to, uh, or th th there's a way to, there's a reason to be skeptical about using productivity differentials in PNG's case, um, because this proxy is maybe not the best one to um, approximate the theoretical counterpart. Because remember the counterpart, the theoretical counterpart is, again, uh, productivity differentials. But um, <coughs> GDP per capita, in PNG's case, in recent years, if you go back to this graph here, did measure what? So we're using this series, right? For the Balassa Samuelson effect proxy. But there's a. <coughs> we thought it's probably more appropriate to use the non mining part of the series. <coughs> but this one is not available over the entire sample period. So. Um, we basically uh, ditched this specification <clears throat> and uh, used the other one. So the preferred one would be, <clears throat> yeah, the one which does not include uh, the Balassa Samuels and in fact proxy, so the specification in column three. <clears throat> So that's our preferred specification, and um, well, another requirement is that uh, the signs of the coefficients are in line with economic theory, which they are. So you can see uh, the real exchange rate appreciates when there's an improvement in the terms of trade, which is what we expect. Trade openness leads to um, a more depreciated area. Government consumption also. <coughs> appreciates the, ex the real exchange rate and finally <coughs> an improvement in uh, the net foreign asset position also appreciates the area. So that's all consistent with theory and uh, on the basis of these estimates we can find the equilibrium rate which is plotted here, the green line in this graph. And uh, well, the way we measure it, basically, when, you ha when, when the real exchange rate is above the equilibrium rate, we're talking there would be an overvaluation and below, obviously, undervaluation. 
But let's focus on, let's say, the period of the resource boom. And uh, what you find is, <coughs> at the beginning of the boom, the two series coincide. So there, there has been no... Um, the, the area was basically at its fundamental long-run value. And then during the boom, uh, what we observe quite often in resource-rich developing countries is that there's a significant appreciation um, in the area which far exceeds the appreciation in the equilibrium rate. And the same has happened in PNG as well. I, I just missed how you get the green line from your regression equation. Yeah. Could you go through that again? Yes. So estimate better in step one, which, is, which are these coefficients. Step two, better times fundam uh, sustainable values of these variables here, which are, in our case, measured through 10-year moving averages. Just uh, one comment, Mark. So you mentioned, if I understood you correctly, that the the openness parameter mm -hmm. that was consistent with theory because it showed that what increasing openness led to a devaluation exchange rate. Yes, more more depreciated equilibrium exchange rate. That's necessarily the case. I could certainly see if you were changing, say, from a closed to an open economy, you'd have a devaluation equivalent. Uh, in the possibly in the short term, but, but if that sparked a lot of efficiency in the economy, etc., then it's likely that you could, as you got more openness, that you could in fact then have an appreciating exchange rate. Well, I guess so your link, your sort of the idea, uh, yeah, I, I guess you're right, and I guess the effect you're talking about refers to productivity in a way. So as the economy becomes more efficient in resource allocation, right? Yes, and the theory then suggests, uh, yes, th that there's an appreciation. But it's two different effects, right? Yeah. One is openness, like yeah. tariffs, and the other one okay. is... Okay, yeah. Alternatively, a short-term against the possible longer-term effects. Sort of thing. So equilibrium uh, would be, uh, by definition, at least the medium term anyway. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Sorry, I just um just going through your your presentation. I noticed that you didn't actually look at the impact of interest rate differentials. I probably think you had that you know, in your your capital inflows uh, calculation. I'm not sure. So interest rate differentials yeah, between being, being a factor, you know, affecting uh, um, you know exchange rate movement. You know? Yeah. Um... But again, that's the flow, right? Yeah, that's um, the flow. That was what I thought. Yeah. yeah. So it would be also reflected in the NFA, mm. right? Because flows would yeah, sure. impact on the stock. So implicitly, we mm. take account of that. Can we ask a broad question now? Um, okay. Uh, you, you were talking about uh, the norm. If you look at your projection, you're talking about the non-money activity driving growth, you know, in your projection. So we're just wondering if you can actually, you know, talk more about that. What is what is what is what non-mining activity is going to be driving growth in the near term in PNG? Um, if you look at your chart you now, where you had you know, um, um, GDP growth, uh, that's all. Then you had one, you know, uh, excluding mining. This one. Yeah, that one there. 
Mm. You see the green, the green line uh, going up. Is it blue? blue? Yeah, that's blue. Sorry, I'm color blue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the blue light going up, you know, yeah. and, and the red one, you know, going down. So what is what is there? What is driving growth there? You know, what what no the story activity. behind it? Yeah, what no many activity is going to be driving growth in your projection? You know, from twenty the twenty fifteen. Well, it's basically any sector in the economy that is not mining. It can include retail, it includes uh, um, construction, and so on. Do we know which sector? Mm. Huh? Those projections. Yeah, that's what I mean. So it's a combination uh, treasury, bank of PG. Because uh, yeah. it doesn't quite gel with your exchange rate story, does it? Because mm. you think that it's mm. a, if you sell over value, mm. then that's going to make agricultural exports uh, less. less less competitive. So probably agriculture is not going to be a, a big source of growth. You're going to have a lot of imports coming in, which is probably going to depress mm. manufacturing as well. So just wondering where But that's the whole point. It, it is, there's almost no growth, right? Well, yeah, but it, but you've got a positive sign there with, positive, with your exchange rate. I, th I thought that would be positively short-lived and it would start going down pretty quickly, maybe. I don't, uh, I'm not quite sure. No, it's also not per capita, is it? 3% population growth. Yeah, it's not per capita, that's right. No. It just that they look fairly... Fairly ambitious, given given your rather dismal story. They look, they would look rather ambitious. Well, I mean, it's a subject to interpretation, right? Sure. But you probably expect official um, estimates to be on the high side anyway, perhaps. Yeah, but still, I mean, you can have positive growth and an overvalued exchange oh, sure, rate. Sure, There's no, yeah, no doubt about it. And in the short run, maybe it, it can even be, it might even boost growth. You don't know. But there's definitely evidence that in the long run, there are negative impacts, right? Sure. And uh, the idea would be, well, okay, now we observe some positive growth rates, but they might be more negative in the future, or in the absence of ex exchange rate or valuation, they'd be higher, right? Yeah, yeah sure. So, yeah. Oh, so, uh, have you actually finished your presentation? Or no, no. There's a bit more to go, actually. To the questions, yes. Okay, so I think this graph here uh, is that was, that was missing still. So by how much is the exchange rate overvalued? So, um, again, here, start of the resource boom, all was well, and then uh, we see a huge overvaluation, uh, which at its peak was 30%, which was the, yeah, also the peak of the resource boom in 2012. So, um, that's what we often see uh, in resource-rich developing countries, that resource booms really lead to a large overvaluation in the exchange rate. And um, if there was some depreciation now, you would see also a significant decline in this overvaluation, but that's not what we do, right? We've talked about it. The central bank is intervening in the foreign uh, exchange rate market. And for this reason, yeah, there's almost no decline in the 
level of uh, real overvaluation. So right now we have 22% in uh, 2015 um, for last year. So unfortunately, we don't have uh, data available for all the macro fundamentals or even the real exchange rate itself. So we can't uh, make uh, updated estimates yet. But the idea is, well, okay, on the one hand, we saw a depreciation in the nominal exchange rate, um, but that stopped, uh, I think, in August, right? Since August, it's yeah, quite yeah, stable. So no more depreciation. And then also there's a positive and significant in, uh, inflation differential between P&G and the trading partners, which... Uh, basically leads to even more uh, overvaluation. We also see, uh, have seen government budget cuts even more so in 2016, which depreciates the equilibrium rate and also the terms of trade. So remember the estimates I showed you. So all taken together, there's no reason to suggest that this overvaluation has become any smaller. So about 20% is the number that we stick to. Could be even higher, actually. <clears throat> but there's no way to really What's know. What's the exact right? date or the month when they <coughs> put the exchange rate trading ban in place? Trading ban in place? When they did it? Yeah. 2014? Yeah, <laughs> so that's when really the intervention started, right? And it also um, basically... <coughs> is consistent with, I should show the other graph, this graph here, right? 2014, that's when you start seeing the divergence, right? So, makes it, it makes sense. And when they chose that initial trading band, it was at a higher level than what it had been trading at in the weeks or days before? Uh, the details, uh, yeah, wrong. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was about 17% higher. Yeah. Why did they do it? Was it the central bank that wanted to put the restrictions on? Was it was a following government policy, or why would it well, sound such in the absence, silly policy? Well, in the absence of um, the intervention, you would have seen a co-movement, right? A depreciation, and... Well, I mean, we know what, 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 what's good about uh, a relatively appreciated exchange rate. It makes your imports cheaper, right? You, the argument is also limiting inflation. You slug, your, you slug your exports, don't you? You slug your exports. Sure. But I guess, um, yeah, those who make the decisions, they benefit from this but policy. Do you think this was a government decision or an independent central bank decision? Or what? <laughs> I'm not that well connected to know what. But then again, the central bank is supposed to be independent, isn't it? Yeah, of course. But I have to say, though, that uh, around 2001, 2002, we actually had the opposite picture to this in Australia, whereby everything, all the all the variables you actually spoke about, you know, they were actually going. In an opposite direction, you know, compared to our, the value of our dollar. Mm. I remember economists were talking about the new economy and the old economy. You know, that that argument came up. You know, so so it can actually happen without any government intervention. I'm not saying that for PNG, but it can actually happen <laughs> for PNG. Of course, you know, it's a 
it's probably yeah, that's probably the case. Yeah. yeah. Do you know that? Sorry, are we finished or not? Well, no. maybe. It's <laughs> <laughs> not really enjoying it. Let, really let's just let's maybe wrap it up. So. Okay. Um, Conclusion, yes, we find a significant overvaluation and um, of about 20%, which is uh, quite large, actually. And um, the policy implication is the central bank should depreciate the uh, nominal exchange rate and thereby also depreciate the real, right? And what would be the benefit? It would boost economic growth. It would boost exports, non-mining exports, Especially, right, it could be beneficial for poverty alleviation in rural areas and so on. Um, what happens if uh, the policy continues? Well, uh, we can basically uh, use history to make, go back in history, basically what happened to other countries which use similar policies. And those countries are often in Latin America, right, and they experimented with the set of policy tools like uh, foreign exchange restrictions and uh, keeping the exchange rate overvalued um, to yeah, benefit urban consumers and the general elite and so on. Uh, but it usually it didn't end well. Uh, we know this because um, eventually uh, black markets will develop. Uh, people have an incentive then to uh, yeah, enter black markets and supply foreign uh, exchange that way, and it leads it, it 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 introduces several costs, especially rent-seeking behavior uh, of government officials, <coughs> and uh, there's also a incentive for smuggling, right, to basically supply this parallel market with. U.S. dollars or Australian dollars in PNG's case, and uh, there's also an incentive of other expo of exporters in general to uh, divert export receipts because they obviously get a better rate in the black market. So this eventually would affect reserves, right? And uh, once reserves are affected, once the central bank runs out of reserves, there will be a BOP crisis. <clears throat> so this is what has been going on in many Latin American countries in the 70s and 80s. <clears throat> we observe something similar also in Venezuela, of course, and Nigeria these days. In PNG, it seems, um, there's no black market yet, at least I haven't heard about it. Uh, but just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't ever happen, right? Because the incentives are there and usually people react to that so yeah let's see you have been listening to a podcast from the development policy center for more information on our work visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au to join the conversation on australian aid papua new guinea the pacific and global development policy visit our blog at devpolicy.org at the blog you can also sign up to our newsletter to get all the latest updates or you can connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.